Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remix, Season 2, Episode 9, Spray Rounds. Uh, as always, I'm joined by one, Robert Sapp. How you doing? How you doing this afternoon, Mr. Sapp? Doing well, sir. Doing well. How are you? Good, man. Um, beautiful weather outside for those who guys. Yeah, it was gorgeous today. You know, 80 degrees, you can't do not too much humidity, which is saying a lot in the DMV. Um, yeah, uh, a very inter- interesting and very, uh, you know, uh, to say the least, uh, tough weekend for those in the world of sports and entertainment. Uh, you know, rest in peace to, you know, to uh, Chadwick Bozeman and Lute Olson uh, passing away. Um, definitely Chadwick Bozeman was definitely unexpected. I did not know that he was, had colon cancer for the better part of four years. So certainly rest in peace. And Clifford Robinson from the NBA family, uh, who was a very good player, all-star, great six man, um, played for a number of years, really was a, one of the first, really one of the first stretch fours when you think about it. He, he, was, he was doing that in the late 80s, early 90s playing, or 90s, in the mid 90s, early 2000s playing that stretch four, that guy that, that, that could play the power four position, but that can go out there and shoot threes and, and, and move around and have that type of versatility. Very good defensive player and played on those two teams that went to the finals that came up short in 90 and 92 with the Portland Trailblazers. Um, so this episode was directed by one Tim Van Patten. Anybody who knows anything about Tim Van Patten knows that not only is he one of the best television directors on TV, his specialty is action. So when you see a Tim Van Patten episode, you hear that Tim Van Patten is doing an episode in whatever it is, Game of Thrones, The Wire, Sopranos, Boardwalk Empire, you know that there's going to be some action, a major action piece happening. Uh, that's what he's known for. But he is, again, pound for pound, one of the best television directors in the in the game right now, without question, has been for a decade, well over a decade. So he does this episode. This episode was ranked 47th all-time by Vulture, which, eh, you know, Vulture's been pretty consistent with season two, but I thought this easily could have been a top 30 episode in my book. And the epigraph was, is the world is a smaller place, the Greek uh, came up with the um, epigraph. Now, a couple of themes that I thought about that we'll flush out. One, uh, a contrast in organizations. I'll flush that out later. And also, I'm going to take an epigraph from a season one from Lester Freeman. All the pieces matter. A lot of moving pieces in this episode, and they all matter to what's going on within the world of within all these worlds that are intertwined and that's what makes the show what it is um opening scene you have Bodhi as he predicted uh last episode you have Bodhi and the rival crew coming back Bodhi Bodhi's you know and the bark sales have completely took it over that corner you know still selling the WMB the WMD which you know will we'll, we will see in future episodes and future uh seasons that drug that they were selling. And uh, the lookout tells, you know, you see the other crew getting ready with the guns and you see the lookout on the bike who couldn't have been older than, older than 10. 
uh, which was, you know, scary, but that's the reality of the situation. Uh, you see the lookout say they're coming up the alley, then all hell breaks loose with a lot of, with, with shots from different crews, from from both from rival and crews, and Bodie and Poot and, and the rest of the, and the other crew that was, um, that was shooting. Nobody hits nothing. Like there had to be at least 30 shots and no one hits nothing in, in regards to, in regards to each other. I don't remember any any person getting hit in terms of the, the crew members or in terms of the gang members, but unfortunately, and this is reality, a lot of time when it comes to these, these gun battles, an uh, innocent person often is the victim. And that was the case in this situation, as you saw a young, young man who was nine years old getting caught with a stray bullet to the head in the window. Um, you see his mother, uh, obviously with the reaction, but even the, during the scene, before stuff is about to pop off, when she hears the first shot, she immediately has like a seemingly, and I, I, as an educator, I got thinking, you know, this is like kind of like a fire drill. Like she had immediate, like where to go. And like, this is clearly not the first time that this has happened because they go directly to the tub. Uh, she tells, you know, kids to stay on the floor. And unfortunately, um, her nine-year-old son it's a bullet to a bullet to the head as the scene ends and you hear her screaming uh, out the window, not out the window, but you can hear her screaming from um, inside the, her, uh, her uh, house. Uh, very powerful opening and, and sad opening um, to this episode. What were your thoughts? Yeah. Um, a ton of thoughts. This is a um, series-defining event because this opens up so much of what's going to happen. Um, so, um, again, this, this is like everything that you said, I 100% agree. Um, it was meant to strike a lot of different tones, and we talked – a lot about like what is it what does it mean like what was Bodie's intention like how did different things go like all of that like last week was a mistake wasn't a mistake but just kind of like when I was struck by like what you said like just when you watch the scene it's just such an emotional scene you don't think about those things like who did what and why and what was the move and who everything like that you know at the end of the day in this scene you know, the big takeaway is that, um, you know, uh, a child was killed by a stray. And for what? Right? Like, that. that's kind of like the overarching, like, this is the cost of all of this. And I love it when the, the wire reminds us in this way of just like, yeah, yeah, it's cool talking about Stringer and Avon and who's the king of what and what's going on with Prop Joe and the Greeks and everything like that. But at the end of the day, this is the cost of all of that. Like, this is the cost of everything is that some child somewhere gets shot for no reason, right? Like, like at the, like, so like we can't, like as entertaining and as enjoyable the show is, like this is a show that actually wants to say different things and talk about different things. Um, also what I really liked about that scene just aesthetically is like what you said in terms of like them not hitting nothing like 
that's also, you know, the, the wire, you know, doing its best as possible. It's still a TV show. And so, I, of course, there were TV different things that they did. But in terms of like the actual, like the gunplay and everything like that, not making people out to be superheroes, at least right now in the show. Like, this isn't a show about like, you know, people rolling behind cars and being able to shoot, you know, four people in a minute, you know, without wasting any, but like none, none, none of that stuff. So, anyways. This is another way that the the wire is, is is visually hinting at people that this is not a just like have fun with what you're seeing show like the different stuff like if we're going to show violence we're going to show not only the cost of violence but what it actually looks like or as cl- as close approximation as we can get on television yeah a, a fantastic opening scene. Yeah. Uh, the detail and um, they realize that the Greeks have somewhat have switched things up. Um, they haven't, they are not completely onto the cops, but on or onto them enough to, uh, to, to uh, change, um, to change some things up. They uh, tell Freeman, not tell Freeman, the, um, Daniels tells uh, Herc and Carver, you know, they, you know, keep continue to case the Greeks warehouse, uh, continue to case the warehouse, continue to case the warehouse as they go frustrated with their role in the organization or in the detail. But you see that the, again, you see that the, the, the you see in this scene, you see the cat and mouse with the Greeks versus the detail and the detail realizing that they're going to have to dig that much deeper and realizing how much the case is, has, has grown in terms of dealing with the Greeks that goes, that even going, that goes beyond uh, one Frank Shabaka. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, 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 yeah. This, this, is, this is the kind of like the, the nitty gritty of it all in terms of, all right, now, you know, the, the, the wires, And now you something's up and like all the different things that they're going to do. I always go back to um, season one. Um, I can't remember. I, I, I think it was Freeman who, who said this quote, but it's like, like uh, it was definitely like Minolte was like, you know, I'm, I'm proud of, of chasing chasing, uh, he's talking about the Barksdale organization at the time. Um, and no, maybe it was McNulty that finished, finished off the line. It's either McNulty or Freeman. It might be McNulty now that I'm thinking, thinking this through. But it's like stupid, stupid cro- crooks <laughs> make stupid cops, right? Like, and so like the reason why you're getting to this, this kind of nitty gritty level is because the group in which they're chasing is very intelligent. And so you need, you need the most um, high-end kind of investigative um, abilities to, to even figure out everything that's going on with, with um, the docs and the Greek and everything like, like that. So um, yeah, I, I say that to say like, this is, this is the cool part of it now, right? Like, and I think this is genuinely what at least what the show is trying to say is what the quote unquote the good police officers in 
the um, Baltimore City Police Department at the time, what they genuinely enjoy doing is going after uh, criminals, going after smart criminals in a smart way. We have Colvin and Ross. So we get introduced to Major Colvin of the Western. He comes onto the scene of, of course, where uh, where uh, Bodie and, and, and the other gangs were shooting, where the, of course, the nine-year-old's been killed. Now, Rawls is there before Colvin. Colvin arrives late. Uh, Rawls chastises Colvin, saying that it used to be, it used to be when a nine-year-old was shot in the head that the district commander would arrive within minutes. Uh, Cole, not Cole, Rawls says, you know, not Rawls, Colvin says he was in, in D.C. with Burrell, um, Basically, look at I, I want to say they were down there. Uh, Burrell was down there for, you know, you, you know, getting some, uh, trying to get some money, um, fundraising. I, I believe that's what he was down there for. So he arrives with his uh, his lieutenant Mello as well, and you see, Ross basically tells him, "Hey, look, you know, knock down some doors, go, you know, do the usual bullshit in terms of." You know how crack some corners, crack some you know crack some corners, and well, Colvin's basically like, yeah, I know the drill, but what's the point? So, um, and he even had a quote says um, says it's fucking pointless, Jack and Cruz. So you can see some of his wheels are starting to spin in terms of his thoughts on you know his thoughts on you know policing. You can see those wheels begin to spin, but just, you know, just a little bit, uh, but we get introduced to one, the key part of this is our introduction to me, to one uh, Bunny Colvin. What were your thoughts in the scene? Yeah. Um, yeah, we just, we just, we don't, it's, it's hard to talk about this in, in one instance um, because what's giving to us we just don't know at this point in time how important what we're seeing is. But this 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 goes to the just goes to the show that is the wire and and how how they how they thought about these first few seasons at the very least. Um, and um, rest assured, they know where they they want to go. And right. so you want to listen to everything. <laughs> you want to listen to everything that's being said. They they know specifically where they're going with this. You have Stringer and Bodie. Bodie, of course, Stringer is of course upset because he knows that the shooting of this kid is going to cause the pop cops to crack down on a on an organization that already is struggling with no with a lack of muscle and a weak product as is. Um, so Stringer basically says everything is going to take a, a long time out. Um, he instructs Bodie to drop the guns off uh, in the harbor. Um, makes a very important point to Bodie. Um, he says, "This game here is more than this game here is more than the rep you carry. Uh, the rep you the rep you carry, the corner you hold. You have to show some flanks." Which to me was a without question a a subtle shot not even subtle shot, a overt shot at one at his own partner in terms of Avon Barksdale. Um, and then he, of course, he instructs Bodie to, to take, you know, take to, uh, you know, 
instructs Bodie to uh, get Shamrock and drop the guns off the harbor, not just a storm, not just a storm drool, a storm drain, storm drain, which is normally, you know, how to get rid of guns because there were so many different guns. He says he wants everything, every gun that fired a shot, to be uh, to disappear. Um, what were your thoughts on this exchange? This exchange between Stringer and Bowie? Yeah, I mean, like it's interesting, right? Because it's like everything that we've been talking about in terms of like what the wire meant at a certain point in time in our lives and what it means now. And so um, when I saw those scenes a while ago, I absolutely was in the mindset of Stringer's trying to teach him a better way to go at this game. But as everything that we talked about, like we now know Stringer and can see it for, for what it is, is that Stringer is a manipulative SOB and is, and is, and is, um, is completely owning this current situation, right? Like this is what, this is what he wanted. And so now I look at that scene and way more so than trying to teach Bodie how to play this game. This is, this is Stringer to me kind of laying down the philosophy of kind of like his administration. <laughs> during, his, during his time and his philosophy is very different as as the conversation we'll see a little bit further in this episode between him and um him and uh pop joe but his his uh his administration the way that he views things is very different than barksdale and so the people that are with him now are his people and so um to me he is uh re restating his his uh his administration's pos position on the drug game yeah yeah because what Bodie did is that that's a page that that's a page from Avon's book like what Bodie did is what Avon would do like yo somebody on our territory we gotta go we gotta handle it so he's trying to like you said completely flush out that way of thinking um, with his own, you know, with his own philosophy and ideology, ideology. Um, you have Spiros, you have Bodie and Shamrock, they dropped the guns, instead of dropping the guns, and this is, you know, I'm gonna get back to you, I'm gonna get on, I'm gonna talk about a theme in terms of organizational, uh, a contrast of organizations, the Greek versus the bark sales. Instead of dropping the guns off in the shore, in the harbor, the guns, you know. Splash. Yes. Yes. Instead of, instead of watching for the splash, the, gun, the guns land on a, on, a ship, on a ship barge, which, you know, just, you know, is just the worst luck in the world. Uh, we will see how that plays out over the course of this episode and what that, what that leads to. So you had that going on with that particular scene. Um, Spiros, Nick, and Etan, uh, they meet up at the, at the Greeks' deli. Um, he tells Etan to give him a, he gives Etan, um, Spiros gives Nick a number for White Mike because, you know, he basically says, and this is not chastising Nick, but basically says, look, if you're going, you know, you're dealing in drugs, our organization is, is just a bit bigger than that. Like we, we don't have to go through us just to deal with drugs. We we got people for that. So given that he gives him that number, 
he also uh, tells him which, which cans to disappear. Um, then he gives Eton some instructions on, on terms of the warehouse phone, tells him that we're off the warehouse phone because they are onto the cops from that stand, onto the cops from that standpoint. So um, a lot going on in that particular, um, a lot going on in that particular scene, a few, a few things going on in that particular scene as we see, we start to really see how large the Greek organization is and what, you know, it gives us some inklings into what, you know, their, their philosophies are and from that standpoint. Um, what are your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I mean, like, I think it's, it's interesting how you put it, like, just like a, a difference in organization, like, uh, organization run. I mean, like, um, where you have somebody like the Greek who has, you know, who, who's been doing this for, for a long time and obviously doing it very successfully. And then you have somebody like Stringer who's very new at the position that he finds himself in. And so um, what we do know about Stringer is that Stringer is very business savvy. What we also know about Stringer is there's some street instincts for a variety of different reasons that may be lacking. And so um, we, you, we can start to see where the muscle portion of Stringer's uh, administration is going to be the weak part of his of his administration, um, and uh, the Greeks been around for many years, <laughs> has many different different ways, and so, um, and so, I, without saying too much you're right on with the juxtaposition between the, the two organizations and you can start to see some foreshadowing. No question about the future. No question Barbara. about it. No question about it. How he handled how Stringer handles problems versus how the Greek handles problems. They both in this episode had to deal with some deal with some shit. Uh from the pre, from not only this episode but from the previous episode in terms of the Greeks and watch, just watch how they dealt, how, just watch how differently they dealt with their respective issues. There's a considerable contrast in how they, in, in style, in terms of, in how they dealt with it. And to your point, you have one guy who's a veteran, veteran in the game, versus another guy who is a newly self, basically has become a newly self-appointed leader uh, of a gang, um, of an organization. Um, in the towers, we go to the towers. We see the cops, of course, are cracking down. Uh, in the towers, in the pit, just arresting people. Um, <laughs> the line—it was a funny line when the cops had one of the dudes. He says, "What do you say?" He says, "I say no to drugs." He says, "Say no, thank you." <laughs> that was cool. Like when he had him on the pinned, pinned, had the guy pinned on the ground. Says, he says, "No, say no, thank you to drugs." So uh, of course, Colvin is not happy at this, you know, at this at all. Uh, they show the disappointment in his face. Um, 
and uh, we see, and, and then you know, we see that scene. And what were your thoughts on 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 that quick scene? Uh set up. Yeah, no question about it. Um, we get to Stringer and Prop Joe. Um, Prop Joe tells Stringer a story about an unknown drug dealing legend named Charlie Saulers, who was dealing heroin, but no one knew about him. Um, Stringer has no idea who the guy was. And basically, this is Prop Joe finessing Stringer because he know he Stringer he knows Prop Joe knows Stringer wants to do the deal. Knows he wants to do the deal. And he, he basically finessing he did and Prop Joe, as we will come to find as we come to find out, is a slippery motherfucker. Like Prop Joe is highly intelligent and highly manipulative manipulative, even more so than Stringer, to be honest with you. So Stringer, so he tells um they make the deal, of course, without Avon's consent. Prop Joe also tells Stringer, like, yeah, when when it comes to soldiering and when it comes to the war or battles, you know, Avon's your guy. But when it comes to the business, and then he left, then he then he, then he did not say anything because he, he didn't need to say anything. Stringer knows he already, you know, Stringer can fill out the rest of that sentence, the rest of the sentence that Prop Joe was going to say. And they make the deal, decides, and he decides to give Prop Joe three towers to start selling uh, Prop Joe's uh, drugs in, and Stringer will keep the other three towers. A lot going on in this scene. Uh, the big winner of this scene was clearly Prop Joe. What were your thoughts? Yeah, and with, with one fell swoop, they laid out the central... Um, the central thesis, the central conflict of next season at the very at the very least. Um, there's a lot that happened here, but it has very little to do with this season. Yes. So yes. that's what makes analyzing this a little bit tricky. Um, so I think I want to hold on to this scene until we get into next season, or at least a little. Uh, if, uh, I'll see in rewatching the next episodes if it more applies closely to this one. But this scene really, really is all about next season. Honestly, it's all about the series going forward. But we won't get that deep into it. Um, do you even believe that story that he told about the dude? I yes. Could just, yes, I do. Yes, I do. They, these are the, these are the, well, here, here's how I say it. Yes, I do. Do I believe? Yes, I do. I'll just say it like that. These are the boogie man stories that's told to organize crime. This, this is in uh, La Costa Nostra stories like this. This is in any of uh, bootleg any anywhere you want to go with organized crime throughout all of history. These are the stories, and essentially, I mean, it's a, like if, if I give you like a modern day one, it, it, it uh, or real life modern day one, it's John Gotti mm -hmm. versus Paul Castellano right. in the Gambino crime family, right? Uh, uh, or Paul Castellano himself is even a bad uh, 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 example because we all know who he is. Um, probably the best one 
is actually who the Gambino crime family is is known for is Frank Gambino. Um, he was one of the original uh, uh, five family members, and he's the only <laughs> he's he's the only one of which you might have heard a whiff of his name who did not end up dead or in jail. Like he actually died of natural causes in modern day mafia, right? And so like, that's a story that's told in a variety of different circumstances that's told all the time. And the, this is to, or, this is an organized crime boogeyman story. And so the, the, the moral of the story that all organized crime members are supposed to learn from stories like these is keep yourself chill kind of like another example popped into my head as we were talking in is something that that uh fans would know um denzel washington russell crowe um american gangster remember right nikki um nikki barnes is like when he gets caught is when he has that you know the the outlandish um fur coat on everything so anyways this is this is repetitive throughout the history of organized crime you keep your if you keep it real quiet, real off to the side, real chill, much less likely to get caught. The more uh braggadocious you are, the more out there you are, the more your name rings out, the quicker you will fall. Yeah, I mean I didn't doubt that that character Jay Bob existed, but the reason why I question I even had questions about the story is I feel like that Pop Joe was finessing Stringer. Two things can be true at once. What he wanted. Two things can be true at once. Yeah. Yep. Nope. That absolutely is there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pat Joe wants this deal to go through because he wants the tower. Um. So absolutely. Um. Two things can be true at once. I I I do believe he was he was trying he said. Remember, Pat Joe doesn't give a damn about the Barksdale organization if they fall everything blah 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 whatever internal strife. What he wants is. The setup that he's that what he wants is the setup that he's he's talking about at this point in time. You can't think of any more in the future. What he specifically wants is really good territory for his yeah. product. Yeah, he wants. Yeah, this is all. This is business now. It's straight. Right. So, 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 absolutely, he's doing that. But it very much benefits him that as in the story what he's uh, part of what he's saying is your actions affect us all as well so the more stable the barksdale organization is for him with this new deal in place the better so that's why i mean two things can be true at once he wants stringer to be stable and successful right now because the more stable and successful stringer is the more money he makes Yes, yeah, no question. You have um, um, Ziggy and the Duck. <laughs> so Ziggy has a Ziggy has a duck. Like you know, he's becoming you know his you know that's his be- new best friend. And of course, this this scene is a lot. It's, it's gonna be it's heavy on setup because they you see Ziggy staring at a bunch of cars, and he says the says the duck the duck barks or whatever, not barks, but you know. Beeps, makes it down with his beeps. And Ziggy's, Ziggy says to the duck, "Yeah, no shit." So clearly, this again, okay, this will be a setup for 
what Ziggy has in store for the for the near future. Uh, any thoughts? Wait, so repeat that last part. You got really low. I'm like, why can't I hear him? No, Ziggy was with the duck, and they were yeah. That last no, just repeat the last thing you said. No, I said Zig. I said that. Uh, so the Ziggy was um, with the duck. They're looking at the cars, and it was kind of like uh, uh, Ziggy says to the duck. The duck, the duck barks, and Ziggy says, no. "Yeah, yeah." Yeah. Um, all right. So, so we talked a lot about Zeke and his duck last, last week, but I did want to get here to, to really uh, amplify like my, my point last week. All right. So here's, here's, here's how I roll it out. All right. Um, the problem with Ziggy and what Ziggy represents um, and why people misjudge this character all the time um, including, I guess, my new frenemy vulture, <laughs> um, is, uh, is um, uh, in, in a lot of ways, Ziggy represents all of us. Uh, um, and so, like, uh, I, I really wanted to point out last week how many people were involved with the duck drinking, and then this week, how all of that is then centered um, Ziggy once the duck dies, right? Now, the implication in there, as I was watching, the implication in there is that something else happened, um, but it's never made clear, like never, ever made clear. Um, so I'm just going to go with, with, what, with what we've seen. Everybody is having a really good time feeding the duck alcohol, which is not okay for any fucking animal in the world. Um, and so, um, and so, uh, the reason why I say Ziggy represents all of us is because um, uh, 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 it's, it's really easy to beat up on Ziggy and it's really easy to make Ziggy the scapegoat. And in a lot of ways, that's what happens in the wire all the time is that all these other things are made the scapegoat. Look at those black doing drugs. Look at the poor um, white stevedores resulting to X, Y, and Z. The, central statement of the wire is that um is that nobody's off the hook and that anytime that we turn a blind eye something bad can happen and it's on all of us it really is on all of us and so everybody's gonna shit on ziggy everybody's gonna yell at ziggy about that ziggy's gonna play to form just like the drug game will play to form and um Black boys and black men will be demonized. Poor whites will be demonized. If you want to just like all this, like all, all, all of the form in there. And so there won't be a great counter argument. You can't produce a great counter argument to Ziggy. But that's why I wanted to point out last week how many people were involved in that. And Ziggy's going to be the one that looks like the asshole. And he absolutely is not. He absolutely is not. There's a lot of people to set up the blame on the duck but nobody will take that responsibility and Ziggy will end up being the fall guy and we'll see ultimately how hard he falls that is the central setup for this entire show I say that a lot but I mean it a lot this is like if we're talking about like we're reading like the wires a novel we don't play no games in literature everything means something <laughs> everything means something and every word means more than what that word is there every character in this show means more than what that character is. And the more 
you think you have your finger right on that character, two things are happening. A, you don't. It'll be that character is really, really representing you. And so wherever you're putting your finger on that character and going, oh, look at what they did, ha, 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 or, or look at how they, everything like that, turn that mirror right on yourself. Because that's, that's exactly what they talk about. Ziggy's the most important character in this, in this season and in this arc. And he is that, he's, the, he's that for a reason because he represents, he represents all of us. He represents what we do in this world when we come in here. We're onlookers, we're giggling, we're laughing, we're everything like this. And every single solitary thing that The Wire shows us is horrible. Every single solitary thing is horrible. There's not one thing that is happening in this life that is something that should be applauded or lauded or looked at as a good thing. But that's not how we consume entertainment. It's deep. It's deep. And that's why people dismiss Ziggy so easily um, because they don't want to get that deep. No, no, to your point, too, and um, you wrote that out perfectly. Um, I think Ziggy definitely represents our insecurities. And I think I, that's, that's to me without question. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, Ziggy. There's a ziggy, there's a ziggy in all of us. <laughs> I mean, and it's 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 it's. I mean, like a ziggy's the the. I mean, it's it's. There's lots and lots of levels of complexity to it. A again, you have to take the class clown part out of the ziggy narrative right. completely. Like That's in order to really see what they're doing. You have to take the class kind. Ziggy's not a character to laugh at. That's that's the ultimate point, and that's the hardest point for people to understand. Ziggy's not a character to laugh at. Like you should never ever laugh at Ziggy. Ziggy's tortured. He's tortured from jump, from the start, we, from the first time we see him to the last time we see him. He's horribly tortured um, for a variety of different reasons. But in this specific context of what we're talking about. Um, think about like all the different types of things and the moves that Ziggy's trying to do. Ziggy's trying to maneuver in this world where it's unmaneuverable. This is not like it's it's not a thing to go and sell drugs. It just isn't. It's not a thing. And so if you are good at selling drugs, that's a horrible thing to be good at because there's a whole societal conditions that create the mechanism for you to be good at this horrible thing to be good at. If you're not good at selling drugs, it's horrible because you're being put into a, you're putting and placing yourself in a situation you absolutely have no place in, in being. And so Ziggy kind of like represents that for, for us. We, we can easily identify that he has no place in any part of this. He has no place in any part of this. But the thing we don't ask ourselves is why. And what does that mean? Those are questions we don't ask ourselves. And those are questions a show has never even asked us to even try to ask. And that's what makes The Wire different. And that's what The Wire is doing. And that's what was so revolutionary back, back in this time. Nowadays, we're a little bit more used and more accustomed for a show making us think and asking questions. Back then, especially in this format, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing. And so I get it why Ziggy's dismissed, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to,
put that flag up for Ziggy because I see what the writers wanted to do with that character. So you have Ziggy, the duck, and Johnny 50 in the bar. He's telling Johnny 50 about the upcoming plan, which is, which, you know, which we saw earlier in terms of him looking at the cars, um, him looking at the cars, uh, but he doesn't completely flush out the plan. He just um, he doesn't completely flush out the plan, but he's giving Johnny 50 some insight on some on some on on a plan that will be coming up that he, that he has uh, that he has his mind on. We see New Charles come in with the prosthetic with not a prosthetic leg, but saying that he's going to get a prosthetic leg. Dolores, the bartender, gives New Charles some money. And then the stevedores give New Charles a, a nickname, a new nickname, Tilt. Um, so, what are your thoughts on on that scene with uh, Ziggy being in the bar? Ziggy gave him that nickname, Tilt. Ziggy gave him that. Yes, Ziggy did. It's a setup. It's a setup. I just, Ziggy gave him that name. Um, McNulty's on the Listen, phone. It's setup. It's setup. Yes, yeah, setup. McNulty is on the phone with the madam, trying to, of course, get in with the uh, infiltrate the, uh, the prostitution ring. And he does a horrible just accent. He really didn't do an accent. He did a horrible job at, at selling himself on being a, on being a John, which uh, Pearlman and, and more importantly, uh, Kima lets him know you actually, you suck at that. And I wouldn't even, they, they basically, I mean, this scene basically depicts how well run, uh, and how detailed the Greeks are in, in regards to their operation with the madam. The madam asked McNulty a bunch of questions that he was not ready for. And even as a cop who's done countless interrogations, he is he just he's caught off guard by it and has to regroup and come up with they have to regroup and come up with another plan in terms of how they're gonna get McNulty in that brothel uh, with the prostitutes. Uh, what were your thoughts? Um, this is the, this is, you know, this is the crew doing, doing what, what they do best. This, this is, this is, uh, now they, the, the, the fun thing to watch is the wires laid all this groundwork in terms of the investigation and what it looks like. And now it's just fun to just kind of watch them off and running off, off to the races with the investigative part of all of it. So we go back to the bar, uh, of course, and no surprise, the duck has died <laughs> due to alcohol poison. Uh, shocker. Um, and Ziggy, of course, is distraught. Uh, uh, Nick comes by the bar. Ziggy tries to fight Nick. Ziggy, of course, is drunk out of his mind as well. He tries to fight Nick. Uh, you know, Nick kind of pushes him, you know, after taking a punch from Ziggy, um, kind of um, pushes him, you know, moves him aside, comes into the bar. He asked Dolores, the, the bartender, what's wrong? You know, what's wrong with Ziggy? She says, don't even talk about that. I don't even want to talk about that asshole. Uh, then, you know, you see a couple of the stevedores who've been, who are, who are all fucked up. Uh, you know, do that usual Ziggy criticism, you know, the boy ain't right. And then, of course, we see the picture of the board, uh, not the picture, but we see the scene, we see the scene of the duck laid out dead on the pool table. And one of the stevedores said that, you know, Duck couldn't hold his liquor. Um, what were your thoughts? Oh, I, I've said everything I wanted to say on Ziggy in this subject. Yeah, yeah, it was all, yeah. I mean, 
they, I mean, they criticized him. To your point, they criticized him, and they were the ones in the last episode, of course, buying the prince as well. They were in on, you know, in on the whole. Yeah, uh, nice. Uh, he gets the scapegoat. He's, uh, he's, he's always a scapegoat. So you have the detail uh, figuring out their next move. They have McNulty <coughs> do a London accent, which is funny because, you know, Dominic West, the actor playing McNulty, is, is from London. So him trying to fake a London accent, him trying to fake a, uh, you know, he does a great American accent in regards to the show. But uh, he comes up with this London accent. Lester uh, Freeman tells him to work on it. And Freeman encourages him to, you know, say, listen, you, if you're going to do this, you got to be far away. You have to be from a far place, you know, across the pond or whatever, uh, so that they won't feel like you're a cop. They also break down a code from a telephone call uh, that they, from the Greeks, in regards to uh, Prop Joe. Uh, instead of, and Daniels figures out one of the words is, uh, means kilo, uh, kilometers, uh, kilograms, and realize that they are onto the Prop Joe's, uh, onto the main stash. So we see some of the interconnecting pieces between Prop Joe and the Greek. Uh, they have, heart, heart, of course, Hark and Carver, I mentioned earlier, continue to be frustrated by their assignments and what they're doing. Um, so a lot going on in this particular scene from McNulty to them breaking down phone codes, which is a, a call back to course season one when they were breaking down codes with, with President Freeman uh, to, of course, Herc and Carver being not feeling appreciated. Uh, what were your thoughts? Herc and Carver really is um, because like there's like there's a level of growth that's going on with pretty much most of the characters and they're staying stagnant, if not going backwards in some ways. And so I'm kind of locking in on that now. I'm, I'm wondering why. Um, and so, uh, and so, like I said, the, the investigation, everything is moving forward is now like, just, just we're on a go in a, in a straight path. But I'm very, very interested. Knowing what I know of how the season ends, I'm very, very interested as to why Herc and Carver are making the choices they're making right now. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't – I think that they – I mean, what they – I mean, they just don't want to feel they, – they want you to feel like they should be higher up in terms of being more involved with the investigation. But the bottom line is – what they're doing, what Hurton Carver is doing, they're part of the, the detail is extremely important. That surveillance, taking those pictures. Um, we saw in season one when Sammy uh, Santangelo missed the Barksdales, Miss Avon and Stringer, how vital that was. So they just don't recognize, for whatever reason, their importance to the detail. They, it's almost like they don't value themselves, to be honest with you. Like, um, because what they, they, don't see the value. they don't see the value in what they're doing. Yes. They don't see the value in what they're doing. Despite the fact that even going back to season one, um, they had a conversation with Daniels about it. And he said that he told them straight up, like, this is all important parts of the case. He told them that. 
straight up. Like, this is what basically told him, he told him what you do basically is important. But they, they just, you know, they don't see it. Um, well, I, I, th- I think Carver more so. I think Herc, this is more Herc than Carver. I, I, I think Carver, I, 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 I think Herc is the one that is kind of like the aggressor from the standpoint. Because he's the one, he does say they don't, he does say people, I'm starting to feel like people don't appreciate us, something to that extent. He says it, to, he says it to Carver. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah I, they, they, like, more Carver than Hurt, but we're putting them together right now. Um, the, I mean, like, definitely right now they can't see value in what they're doing. They can't see value in the investigative process. It's just weird. It's wild because everybody else, all the other characters have moved past that type of thinking. And they're the only ones, particularly in this unit, who haven't moved past that type of thinking. I I just I thought about I just thought about something. I thought I think too that the show, of course, the show is, you know, was at the time way ahead of us in terms of this thing, this what the groundwork they were laying. But I also thought I also think that they that the show was giving us seeds to these two will not grow together. Like they're they're almost incapable of growing together. That's a great point. That's a great point. And I did not see that. Of course, at the time when you're watching 2003, you don't, no. there's no way you're gonna see it. That's you just, a great you're look, you're just looking, looking at them as looking at them as look at them looking at them as two just two bumbling idiots, so to speak, or looking at just two dudes that are just not happy about their position. But I think that yeah, that's I, I just thought about that. Like yeah, these two together, yeah, no. And remember, we had that thing going with Nolte and Bunk, and who else was it? Um, mentor, the mentor friend. Oh, Johnny, and you talking about Johnny and uh, Bubbles? Yes, yes, yeah, they fall right into that category as well. They do, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that matches in with one of the things we identified early on. We just didn't put these two there, but they 1000%. That's no, a great point, and they one thousand percent go in there. Yeah, absolutely fall into that category. Spiros and Eton discuss the value of chemicals. Again, this has been one of the things that you've been on and, and told our told our audience to pay attention to. These chemicals keep coming up; they come up for a reason. Um, so now we get the so this this thing. I had to watch this scene a couple of times because I was like, like, what the fuck is going on? They discuss the value of the chemicals, and they, then they, they talk about their dealings with the Colombians. And I'm like, damn, in 2003, I didn't even think about a mention of the Colombians. Um, this, uh, to me, shows just how, like, they're, I mean, they're operating at a different level here. Like, they, like this, we're, we're looking at street shit with Prop Joe and Stringer and the police shit. These dudes, or the Greeks, are just, op- they, they are a, global conglomerate, so to speak. And when they when they bring the Colombians into this, which become pre- predominant in this episode, we realize like what the Greeks are doing. And I, I thought the scene was brilliant from that standpoint, even though it wasn't a short, even though it wasn't a long scene, it, it just gave you some more insight in terms of how the Greek, in terms of how big that operation is. What were your thoughts? Um. 
Yes, I agree with everything that you're saying. And I think our early on, meaning when we were younger, our early like uh, big ideas about this season was this was the first season was about the drugs on the street level. And this was the season that was about how the drugs get into this country, like how actually this mass quantities come come over here. And um, yeah, it just shows to your point, the, the, I mean, let me go back to the, to the Nico scene. Um, they're wholesalers. They don't do a nickel. They don't deal in nickel and dime stuff. And so especially for the product that they're wholesaling, there are few places on this planet that is better for getting the different parts of that product than, um, than Colombia. So it makes all the sense in the world that they're working with the, that they know the Colombians and have a business relationship with the Colombians. You go back to the Western District, uh, Lansman Cole, uh, and Cole are discussing the shooting. Um, uh, Lansman basically is saying uh, they this now this is this is after they found out that they've got the guns that we see we saw Bodie drop the guns uh, accidentally on the ship on the ship. They've of course have picked up the guns and Cole not Cole Lansman is inquiring about Bodie. Uh, about Bodie and, and, you know, Cole basically says, you know, we're on him, we're, you know, we're going to his grandmother's place and what have you, you know, what do you think you're dealing with a couple of amateurs? And and then we, you know, we go, we go from there. Um, quick scene, what were your thoughts on this scene? Awesome. Yeah. Ziggy, Double G and uh, Johnny 50, they um they had their double g store ziggy approaches double g about the uh about a deal for, for you know about a deal in terms of the stolen mercedes um he attempts to make the deal um you know lays out all the you know all the parameters about the deal to double g they agree to the deal but double g does not agree to give the ziggy in advance a cash mm-hmm. Which will be a very pivotal, pivotal um, part in terms of that. Remember that because he does. He Ziggy asks for advance. Double G says, "You know, let's let's get let's let's make sure I, I want the merchandise first. I want to see this thing go through first before we even talk about talk about how much talk about the money that you're going to get." But Ziggy Ziggy is is all in in terms of this deal. From that standpoint, the plan's been laid out. Double G agrees to the plan. Johnny Fifty is in as far as you know. He's going to help Ziggy out. Uh, what were your thoughts on the the scheme of the stolen uh, Mercedes and the deal the deal that Ziggy attempts uh, to make with Double G? Well, yeah, I mean, like this, this like nothing that is happening now will be new information. This is all everything that's going on is very consistent with both with both characters. That's that's right now. Here's what here's what here's what you can count on. A, that Ziggy will propose a deal and that B, Ziggy will mess it up. That, that, those are the two things that you can count on in terms of that character, like being consistent with the character. And so, and the thing that we know about Double G is that he can't stand Ziggy. So this doesn't seem like a match made in heaven. Just right from 
right from rip now i will say um like no z you cannot ask for a cash advance from from uh not with your, not with your reputation that, no. not no. even with rep- reputation Ask for a cash advance for robbery. That's not a thing that happened. That's, yes. that's not a thing. Um, so again, that's a that's another little peek into like just how not of this world he is. This is just not a space that he should even be remotely around, and yet he's knee deep. He's knee deep in in that space. Um, and so uh, when you say keep your eye on it, I agree if you keep your eye on it, but the actual mechanism of was he going to lend him? He was never going to lend him. Nobody was, nobody's going to lend anybody money in that, in that case and money back. But it does also um, the light bulb goes off as pretty much everybody who's dealt with Ziggy, the light bulb goes off of this is a person who doesn't know what they're doing. And so in that type of world, if you are somebody who's playing around and you don't know what they're doing, other people are going to have a very specific reaction to you. And, he, and Ziggy consistently gets this reaction from people he's dealing with. So there's some foreshadowing going on right now. Right. Um, McNulty Freeman Daniels, um, you have uh, McNulty telling Daniels, basically giving Daniels his new cover um, in terms of he's dressed up in a suit. He has the English accent uh, that, that, that Freeman recommended, recommended and um, you know, he's, you know, he has his whole, laid out this whole plan as far as this whole uh, new identification. You know, he's, uh, I forgot what his name was, what was his name. Uh, from across the pond, does the English accent, so they've they've kind of flushed, they've kind of polished that, uh, so he can go in as the uncovered John. Um, this is, of course, this is a scene that's going to set up for later on in the episode. Anything to add to this? No, uh, Ziggy and, and Johnny Fifty discuss how they're going to steal the cars. Um, I have to say, it was it was a great plan. I just I gotta give Ziggy credit in terms of the thought, you know, that we need two bolt cutters and we're gonna go across the grass and we're going like Ziggy really thought this plan out. He really thought this plan out. He's not dumb. He's not dumb. Like people create like and I was thinking because Johnny says something and Ziggy immediately rebuffs it. Like, hold on, like, no, we can't go we can't do it this way because you know, this or this, that, then you know, we'll probably get caught. We gotta go this other way. So Ziggy, this, you know, uh, this was a well thought out plan from that standpoint in terms of the actual execution of the plan. And um, so uh, that, that jumped out to me. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, this, this very similar. I mean, like the, it, this is a well put together plan. It was a well put together plan. Um, uh, and like Ziggy, Ziggy's not stupid, and it's not about being. It's not about Ziggy being stupid. Um, in terms of like what it is that we're seeing, um, it's going to be the his Ziggy's stepping out on his own in a space that 
he's not usually out on his own in in a way in which is very different from how he's managed, particularly Double G and the Greeks and everything like that. And so um, the initial part of it, and this you could probably say this with all his various bills, business dealings we've seen so far, have to go well because he keeps getting involved in them. So the initial part of it is good. It's what it's everything that happens after it. So you have um, Russell, Bunk, and Freeman. Um, they watch another can disappear. Uh, then they go let Hark and Herc and Carver know this is, of course, is going to be set up for. Uh, this is going to be set up for another scene coming up. Um, uh, coming up and later on in the episode. Uh, any thoughts on this uh, quick scene? Mm, set up. McNulty and Agent Fitz um, from the FBI. Of course, we saw Agent Fitz Fitz you uh, in in season one a couple times. Um, McNulty basically apologizes for uh, you know coming at him in season one. Um, he then proceeds to give Fitz uh, some information on Sergey and Double G. Um, he gets in contact with Agent Kutris uh, from an office in San Diego. Because um, Kutris, of course, you know, Kutris, of course, knows about, knew about, um, has some information on Sergey and, and, and Double G. And Double G. And Kutris gives, Kutris gives uh, Fitz basically nothing. He says, you know, he was a mope, mope trying to play, a slick trying to play a mope uh, in terms of Double G. No big deal. But and then as soon as he hang, soon, soon as Kutris hangs up on the phone on Fitz, not hangs up on Fitz, but uh, after he takes that call, he calls a unknown number, um, and, and and then you know speaks a different language. So at that point, we we kind of get a sense of where where that is going. Uh, what were your thoughts on that scene? Um, there's a lot to pull out here. That, yeah. I mean, this is damn near an entire whole. Oh, I mean, we're we're getting uh, this. There's so much to pull out here. I mean, um, we're we're basically getting a huge plot point that we didn't know up until this point in time, and one that will play play itself. I, I think I'll talk about it as this is a reoccurring theme in the wire, um, where even with the best efforts of um, a few detectives that they keep shooting themselves in the foot for a variety of different ways because of the way that the system is set up. So I think like that's the, that's the only, that's the sh like, that's the shortest, this, this, everything that happens here is a, is a lot. Everything that happens here is a lot. Yeah, yeah, this is a major uh, setup for, you know, future episodes. it's just it's just a lot this is just a lot like this is an entirely huge plot point that right. just happens yeah it's a lot there's a lot there's no there's no there's no anything i mean like because essentially what this is saying is that the investigation is jacked from beginning yeah from jump. yep yeah yeah from jump. and so um this puts us on a completely different path as we're viewing what's, what happens these last few episodes. This is very, very huge. 
what's going on here. It's very, it's very, it's actually very hard to put it into context because thinking how the beginning of next season starts off and how they get, yeah. There's just there's 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 a lot of tentacles to this, and so I'll just I'm going to talk about it. I think the best way to play it is to talk about it as it unfolds over the next few episodes. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not not to give anything away, but just you know, the game is rigged. That's that's I'm awesome. just trying. Yeah, no, this is huge. I was just trying to think about how do how do I even put this in perspective? Yeah, yeah the game is the game. I understand it in the context of this. Like, it doesn't surprise me because I understand it in the context of what's going on. But as I was watching it today, and I was just like, man, how do I talk about this? I was just like, this is such a big moment in the show. In the his the, the history of the series, this is a huge moment. It's way deeper than the game is rigged. Sorrell, this is the fucking FBI <laughs> that yeah. is infiltrated. This is way deeper than the game is rigged. Way deeper in the context of um in the context of a time where everything was about terrorism. There's a lot that's being said here. There's a ton that's being said here. This is this is I, you don't put something like this into your show lightheartedly. No. This is not a light like you could talk shit about your own city and like the different things that you've seen. That's one thing. But to then go, nah, it's not just on the local Baltimore Police Department. Let me tell you about the times of when the FBI was jacked up. That's that's yeah, yeah. They they're saying something here. They're saying something. Or that they're at the beginning of saying something. Yeah, but you don't put that in lightly. You don't no, no put that in lightly. Absolutely not. Um uh Hurricane Carver watched a truck come in. Of course, that's set up. Um Cole, Norris, and Bodie are in the in, in the interrogation room. So of course we found of course we know that the guns that the cops have the guns because the guns did not ever hit the water. Um, Bodie immediately asked for a lawyer. And this is, you know, Bodie, again, Bodie has been getting interrogated for seemingly forever. <laughs> He's been through this game a number of times. And I, I think, uh, you know, you have Colin Norris. And I, that's why I was kind of was laughing at that scene with Cole and Landsman and Norris. And Cole says, "What do you think we are? A bunch of idiots." So Cole, that's what, uh, so Cole, completely gives himself away. Now, when they bring in the bag, Bodie puts his head down, like has a like an old shit moment, and then Cole's like, "Yep, yeah, there you go. You realize you fucked up." But then Cole says, "We have prints on the guns," and at that point, you know, is. This at that point is uh, it's a wrap for them from that standpoint because we because Bodie Bodie um, wiped down you know Bodie knows that he has them he kind of gives a wry smile says which one um, he says which one and then they point to and then Cole kind of hesitates because Cole at that point knows that they fucked that they that he's fucked and he says that you know he points to a gun and it didn't even matter which gun he points to because all those guns were wiped down before they were ever tossed aside. Um, and then Bodie, of course, again, asked for uh, a lawyer. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? 
I mean, you you pretty much laid it. You pretty much laid it out. I mean, it it, it the the scene was specifically what it was, and it's to to show that um, the to reiterate again, there's there's a different investigative power you got to bring, and um, certain elements in their department in that specific department are not quite there in terms of how to how to 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 work seasoned vets like Bo, like Bodie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so we get to a meeting at a restaurant between the Greek and his entire organization as far as the hierarchies. We see the Greek, Spiros, Madam, Eton, and Double G all discussing discussing the police looking into him um, through the information provided by Agent Kutras uh, that they realized that they, you know, that they say that they realize that, that the police are somewhat onto him again. Um, they discussed the Colombians taking the chemicals and paying less. And the Greek says the epigraph says, of course, the epigraph, the world is a smaller place in the, during the scene. Um, a lot going on uh, with this particular scene as we, uh, as for the first time, we see the Greek kind of having, you know, a, a you know, kind of, we see the Greek in everybody that's connected to him in terms of his organization or the heads, you know, kind of just, you know, kind of discussing business here. Um, what were your thoughts uh, on this on this exchange, and, and especially to talk about in, in regards to the the, the uh, Colombians? Um, so, all right, I, there's there's a few different things. So, I think the main thing is again going back to kind of like our initial assessment of season two, which is how do these quantity of drugs get here? Right. And this is showing you one way in which this massive quantity of drugs get here. It's not Greeks, Colombians, Russians, triad, da, 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 but what, I mean, like the names are the names. You can, you can switch out any different name as, as we can think about, like, like we go back to American Gangster, it was Thailand you know, or Vietnam, you know, you can switch out the different entities um, a, as you want to. But the, the main, the main thing is this is not a domestic deal. We're not making the drugs here. We're not making the drugs in South Central LA and then distributing in South Central LA. This is the export, import export business. And so in order for um, in order for this amount of drugs to come in, you got to, uh, you got to, um, was import, import it. And so in order to be able to import that much, you got to have, uh, you got to be of a certain level if you're an organization. And so that, that is, that is the conduit with which they can, the show can show the level at which the Greeks are at by linking them to the Colombians. But, you know, 
uh, international drug organizations are partners all the time. <laughs> that that's how this whole thing that's how this whole thing works, or or business partners at points in time. So during this uh, meeting, the Greeks the Greek basically says, "Listen, we you know despite the police attention." Um, we're going back to business as usual. You just gotta be careful. And um, he, you know, goes uh, and, and, and they go from there. Uh, so I didn't definitely didn't want to leave that that part of it out. Yep. Uh, so yes. Um, Were you talking about setting up the clone? I, I was gonna wait. No, we can wait on that. No, okay, they, yeah, they, 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 we're yeah. not. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, the detail here is Sergey's voice on a call and make the connection um, to the warehouse, to the, to the warehouse phone. They realize, that they, they, they realize now that they have, uh, they recognize a voice from the warehouse. They get a, new, get, get a new number and then they call for Perlman to get a new affidavit. Uh, any thoughts on this? Um, my only thought was just like, Again, this they are completely in the wire now. Like they're they they are completely they got all the different like this is the cool thing of seeing all the setup early on because now we could just be like, oh, we need another wire. Here, Perlman, and then just got like I find that stuff really cool. So I just I just like how much we're in we're in it with the wire and don't have to explain a whole bunch of it how it all just naturally makes sense now yeah no question stringer Sam, shamrock and another barksdale associate test the quality of pop joe's drugs they realize that it is a it is totally raw and you know pure uh realizes high quality he instructs shamrock to allow pop joe into the top allow pop joe into the towers and that and now you know the agreement and the the uh they are now uh you know partners um officially partners now with with uh prop joe quick scene but what were your thoughts on it um set up the detail perlman mcnulty they start to realize uh as they're discussing the greeks they start to realize just how big the organization uh, is um, when they're talking about the Greeks and looking at the, all the moving part, moving pieces, because they, you know, they talk about the, uh, they have, of course, they have their, their board in terms of their criminal board. And, you know, they bring up the cars, they bring up the prostitution, they bring up, uh, you know, Zig, not Ziggy, yeah, but they bring up Nick, the Sabaka. So they really, at this point, are are we'll start to see how big this case is, uh, and that this case is going going beyond one uh, Frank Sabaka. Um, what were your thoughts? This is a quick scene. But what were your thoughts? Um, it's 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 definitely set up, but it's like set up for a few episodes from now. Um. Pay attention to pay attention to 
the <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to say it. Pay attention to Frank Sabaka's disposition from now on <laughs> with everything. <laughs> right. And this was not a this, this was uh not a there was very minimal Frank Sabaka in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, not a, lot, not a lot of Frank Sabaka in this particular episode. Yeah, but the Frank Sabaka that we see in this episode is feeling real good about life. Yeah. Feeling real yes. calm, yes. real chill right now. Yeah. Um that anyways, pay attention to Frank's disposition. That that's what that's that's yeah. You got double G and Ziggy uh discuss some of the details of uh of the of the operation. Uh Ziggy gives them some information on which cars that he can still uh, I believe he mentioned that he wasn't going couldn't didn't want to steal ones with with some roofs or without it was either or it was either with it was either I think it was either with some roofs or without um and then he of course he asked he asked uh Ziggy of course asked for the advance which double G says of course says no <laughs> and, and and says no and of course they move on with the deal any thoughts Set up. Uh, Stringer and the Barksdale crew. So Stringer, of course, now Bodie's out, out, not he wasn't ever locked up, but Bodie's out in terms of questioning. He's, he's done questioning. Uh Stringer is, you know, this is Stringer giving them a earful in terms of what transpired with the shooting, and he's comparing the drug business to to just regular business in terms of WorldCom and and and, 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 and what these different corporations and set, tells them gives them tells them you know now now you realize why you know CEOs and heads of corporations get paid the big money because when the shit goes down you know they have to deal with it. Uh, he chastises uh, Shamrock about the the guns not hitting the water. Um. And then um, sends everybody else out the room with the exception of Bodie. Questions Bodie, and Bodie, of course, tells them they have nothing because I wiped, you know, they fucked up in terms of asking me about the prints, about the guns, telling me that the guns had my, had my, uh, had my uh, prints on them. They, and he says they, at that point, they fucked up. And Stringer was, you know, at the end of the scene, despite earlier disappointment, was somewhat impressed with how Bodie handled himself, jokes with him, fake boxes, jokes with him, and you know, says, you know, give him a pat on the back as he walks out uh out of the room. Uh what were your thoughts on this scene? Um so this episode's tricky, man. This episode's tricky because it's like it's like it's right in the middle of everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and so it sounds like a cop out to say setup, but it really, really is great setup for what is to come. So I'm going to say setup, but I have a lot to say when it happens. I mean, to me, I'm looking at it. Um, is Stringer just re reemphasizing, you know, his ideology on the Barksdale organization. Yep. And you know, he's gonna continue continuously do that to kind of like I don't say brainwash them, but you know, to 
get them in, get them thinking, get them thinking on the page that on his page. It brings up yeah. World, Worldcom and you know and, and, and what have you, and CEOs and shit like that. Which in normal cases, yep, you, which he's done before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not the first time. But this crew up, this this you know, Shamrock, Bodie, Country. These are his guys now. Like these are these are his guys, and he you know just continuously trying to separate them from that old from the previous way of thinking. So it was kind of continuing continuing on from that uh, from that standpoint without giving you know without giving any too much away in regards to. And to your point though, it is ab- it's absolutely set up. I mean, it's absolutely um, a setup in, in regards to what the yeah it is hard no i mean season three goes all the way in so it's like anyways let's stop stop talking (laughs) so we have uh ziggy um ziggy goes to a pawn shop and he gets the bow cutters and he of course he wanted the advance because he has he has double G for the advance because to pay for the bow cutters, but instead he has to pawn the uh, the diamond necklace that he had that, he, that of course was on the ducks, the late ducks uh, neck, and he pawns that, uh, takes that money, gets the bow cutters, and then of course the last scene, not the last scene, the last image of that scene is we see Ziggy staring at a gun. Yep. So, which is again to what's been a recurring theme in this episode, setup. Yep. <laughs> it's a lot. Heavy, <laughs> heavy setup. Heavy. I mean, I, here's here's what I think. I mean, like, and I was, so setup definitely is an easy out. So I guess like right now, this is a whole heaping episode of foreshadowing. Like this, this is. Yeah, this one is putting lots of different things out there. Yeah. Lots of major ideas out there. So you have White Mike and Nick. Um, Nick gets, you know, is getting his re-up. White Mike, of course, is the local, I ain't going to say kingpin, but a kind of a local middleman drug dealer on the corner who is, of course, connected with the Greek. Um, and he makes a deal with Nico, with Nick, um, but at first is against it because he normally doesn't hold self. He says he normally doesn't hold, he says he holds self for four, for five, not for four. Nick says, look, you know, the Greeks told me you were going to be straight with me. White Mike calls Sergey. Sergey confirms that, confirms the deal. And then an important scene, not scene, but an important bit of dialogue between White Mike and Sergey happens in which White Mike asks Sergey, did they kill someone uh, in a lo- in, in, around the area? Sergey retorts, did he have arms? Did he have a face? Did he have hands? Did he have a face? Then it wasn't us. And that is a important piece of dialogue against, again, more set up very important piece of dialogue moving forward. Uh, so, but even even in this one, though, this is different than set up and foreshadowing because this is actually a major plot point. 
Right. And they they recognize they they acknowledge it in the episode. So this is nothing to be hidden or put the put they like they acknowledge that Sergey won't shut up in this episode. Um and so Yeah, Sergey uh, talks a lot. He uses a lot yeah, of talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but they not they like like he doesn't usually talk a lot because they don't care to show him on the phone. So the fact that they're showing him this many times in this episode. That's what I mean by they're acknowledging what he's saying has significant impact. So this is not even a thing where it's like a, uh, like what they're doing with Stringer for next season, where we even have to tiptoe around this. This is big, and they mean it to be big. And it's big for all the reasons we all know it's big, because he's admitting a murder on a tap line, essentially. Yeah, I mean that. It just it 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 doesn't get more obvious than that. You have the detail, Freeman and Prez Bluski. Uh, of course, Prez they listen to Sergey's call. Um, Mark has a pertinent call. Of course, um, McNulty gets ready for uh, to go undercover, and then towards the end of the scene, you see Freeman. Uh, make the connect make Freeman makes a connection um Freeman makes uh, a connection and then proceeds to you know to go on to you know, move on to his next step what was your uh thoughts on on this scene set up yeah the Greek sitting at a park bench with Agent Kutras he yep. gives him some information which we will uh find out about later on in this episode. But this, of course, confirms what we thought that the Greek, you know, has a relationship with uh, Asian Kutras. Yep. Frank, Nat, and Horseface. Uh, you mentioned earlier about Frank being uh, feeling good about himself. And the reason why he's feeling good about himself because four million dollars. <laughs> Four million dollars have been allocated to the union through, through the uh, through the government, and Frank, you know, has champagne, you know, has has a little has a little champagne, has the cups out, and um, despite that, he still had, he asked Nat about the election, about becoming treasurer for one, one more year. Nat again rebuffs him, says no, it's Ott's turn, and then we see Agent Kutris come in. Um, and discuss and, and come into Frank's office and have a question about, of course, the uh, about counterterrorism, and uh, we will see how that plays out over the course of, of the episode. Because so Agent Kuchis basically, you know, basically puts a put a time puts a time out on Frank's initial initial celebration. Frank, of course, has no idea what this is about uh, in regards to this. What were your thoughts on this scene? Um, you talking about just just the part of Frank talking about what's coming? Well, there were two parts. There, there was, well, there were three parts. There was the, the his discussion of the money that they're getting, the yeah. election, the part of in terms of elect, of, of Nat saying. No, it's Ott's turn in terms of the election, and then Agent Kuchis comes into Frank's office. 
Yep. Um, I, 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 I think it, Frank's feeling really good about himself. I think that's what that entire conversation was about. And then I think it is, uh, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this one as well. Yes, yes, yep, no question. Um, the detail, uh, Washington's been known to get picked up by the muscle, the, the, uh, the prostitute's bodyguards. Um, we, of course, we'll see how that plays out. Um, then you have Agent Kutras at the docks, the docks warehouse going through, um, going through the containers. Um, more, that's not foreshadowing, but that was, uh, again, a, a scene that will play out. We will see how that play out through, we will see how that play out towards the latter part of this episode with Kutras going through the, uh, the, the containers. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like, it's like, uh, oh man, see, <laughs> so we're just, so this is set up of him looking through the containers. So that's, this is set up for what's coming, but it's also, it's very interesting to think about like, oh, like this detail was focused on something very, very specific. And there's a lot of different things going through this port. Yes. So it's just interesting to think about think about it in that from that from that okay. mindset. Yeah. Yeah. All right, big scene. Stringer and Brianna Barksdale. Um now Brianna, of course, is still grieving, rightfully so, her son's death. Um she says that she saw D'Angelo's death coming. Uh, Stringer, of course, plays you know the role, uh, plays it perfectly as far as uh, his emotion with her and the conversation in terms of you know not giving anything away in regards to any involvement that he would that he had in that. Uh, says you know tells her you know says no one could have saw that coming and she Stringer is defending Avon. Um, Bri Stringer goes to Brianna to basically to reach out to Avon about the muscle and to a, le to a much lesser extent about the product. Stringer in this scene is using Brianna just like he used Donette last, uh, last season, earlier this season, not last season, but earlier this season. The deal's already been made for the drugs, but he, it's two things. He needs muscle, number one, and he still wants to feel, he still wants to get a sense of what, of how Avon would feel about making a deal with uh, Prop Joe. So Brianna agrees to go um, reach out to Avon um, about that. She says, as long as the towers are standing, she still is as well. A lot going on in this scene. Uh, and again, this is Avon being, not Avon, this is Stringer. Yeah. Being careful and subtle with Avon. What were your yeah. thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, I think so. 100% agree. And I think it was very astute. And you're 100% correct in terms of just like how he is shifting the dependent upon it's shifting who he needs to use depending upon the circumstance. Um, and, uh, and that, that is, that's, that's, that's a big, big part of what's, what's going on. Um, so, uh, so it's, it's just, it's very interesting to see, see that happen right there. And it's very interesting um, cause we, we, we all know like how much he doesn't care about D'Angelo. Um, and so it's very interesting to, for him to navigate those choppy waters in order to get what, what it is that he wants. And so, um, we've said that Stringer has done a lot in this episode with the people who are absolutely now his to command to of uh, putting out kind of like his 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 marching orders what what he values um and so it's interesting to watch him also double down on how manipulative he is in going into these very treacherous waters between you know um a brother and a sister um and a mother and child's death and an uncle that just there's very dangerous waters and so it just shows where where he's at in, ter- in order of getting his agenda pushed through. Yeah. Uh, you have McNulty and the girls. McNulty, of course, he gets in and he, uh, of course, picks out, takes, picks out two of the girls uh, in, in the hotel. Um, we will see what that leads to over the course of, ep- over the, course of the uh, remainder of this episode. Uh, Agent Kutras in the warehouse. So he's in the warehouse, and at first, there's, he sees nothing. He get, he's not getting anything. He gets on the phone, and basically, you hear a voice says, "You hear a voice says it's there." And then all of a sudden, he discovers the drugs that are in the warehouse. Um, what, what were your thoughts? Well, he called, he called, um, I'm assuming he called Spiros or one of the Greeks. No, he calls the Greek. He calls, the Greek, Spiros yes, don't he, know him. Not Spiros, yeah, the Greek, the Greek. Not Spiros. Mm, 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 the mm, Greek. They only deal with each other. The there, there's, this the is Greek. not a, this is not a circumstance where you share this information with everybody around you. If you have an F, uh, a embedded FBI agent, Deep, yeah, you don't share that information. So only the Greek in him or tall or whatever, you know, um, they're the only ones talking. So he calls him and is like, uh, or all you hear is the Greek on the other end going, assuring him laughingly that it's there. It's there. Trust me, it's there. Yeah. And then we find out, oh boy, is it there? <laughs> is it there? Yes, a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and this, this is also another tried and true organized crime method as long as it's been in there. A a famous new one would be Whitey Bulger and how he worked for the FBI in order to turn in rivals and so like blah, 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 everything. So anyways, so this is a tried and true method. This this is absolutely a tried and true method that, that has happened, you know, for as long as organized crime, but especially as long as 
organized crime and the FBI have been entangled with each other. Um, and so, uh, and so, yeah, that's what, that's what all that was about. That's what all of that was about. I mean, like, you know, as we, I think we can, even, even those of us who've never been personally involved in dealing drugs from all the different things that we've seen, the drug game is not a nice game. It is not one where you make friends and everybody's having a good time with each other. So um, how do you get a bigger share of the pie is you cut the other person out. And so um, the Colombians have, Colombians and the Greeks, very nice to each other <laughs> in getting this connect. Somebody does something that the other one doesn't like in this chance it's the Greeks who are not very excited about what the Colombians are doing. And so how do you make this a win-win scenario? Well, you, um, you have your- Hold, your, your, hold on to that. Hold on, Wait, hold on to that. Where am I hold at? No, yeah, hold on to that thought. We're not, I mean, we're not, we're still, because uh, that's going to flush out in the later- He calls scenario. him, and then he looks at it. Where else? Okay, all right, okay. So no, 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 you're right. you're right. You're right. But I'm saying, though, wait, wait, wait. I, 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 no, you're you're right in terms of what this, he found the drugs in the warehouse. But I want yeah. I want to wait to flush out the entire. I want to wait to flush out to the audience what the Greeks did to the Colombians in a late once in a later scene that comes up. Okay. Right. It, 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 yeah, because it, this. Yeah. yeah. So I know you're not Take wrong. Just the drugs. Yeah, he got. He gets. Yeah. But that's, it, that's the that's the takeaway at, your, the drugs, at this yes. point in time. The, the paint chips are the drugs. So everything paint he chips, sees yes. is drugs. Yes. So it's, it's, a good, it's a good day. It's a good, yeah. it's a good day for the FBI. Yeah. A good day for the FBI and a bad day and for the Yeah. So we'll, and we'll flush it and we will definitely flush that out. Um, so you have, uh, oh, the detail back at the hotel. Um, now, before they go into the, the hotel, they're at the door. McNulty's already, McNulty's already doing what he's doing with the girls. Um, a scene that I, I did not pay attention enough to all these years. There's an officer who just wants to barge in before Bunk says, what do you think we're going to do? What do you think you're going to do? Flush a half, half, a half, dozen down, a half dozen whores down the toilet? Take it easy. So Bunk ch checks him. And then Bunk does the, the, the whole knock and we're going to lock your ass up. That officer who wanted to barge in, Officer Walker. Now, no one knows, you don't know what that name means if you haven't seen all seasons of, of, of The Wire. Are you serious? I, I'm dead asses. Go, I, was, I, it, was it for real? Was it supposed to be Officer it Walker? Was, it was definitely, I, I did the research on it. They said during first appearances of this season, they do. They always do a, a section in Wikipedia where they say first appearance. Yeah, his name was yeah. on there. His name is the. He's the officer, and they show they show his name, and they say that. And they, I read it too, on a on a, a review of it. It was hard, and then I then I looked back at the scene. Like that, that damn sure was Officer Walker. And so, like in the thing, in the in the what his name really is in the show, at that at that point in time, is Officer Walker. Officer Walker. Yep. Wow. That was his. <laughs> Ooh, and, but, but I mean, but, but when you think about that character, it makes perfect sense that he would want to barge in. Sure, 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 that makes perfect sense. But but it was it was that we don't know that at this time. There's no no, no we did. I mean, right. there's no there's no, no. How do they even know that at this time? 
but they uh when i read the review they said that's wow yeah, that's, that's, that's wow no, that, that's but wild. It, i mean that's yeah wild. i mean yeah no it's wow yeah, i can't I'll i like, never would have noticed that in a million years I and never. but that that will not be the first time in the wire that they show i Kevin. never would have known no 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 but stick keep to this one because this is one I did not know. So just stay here. I didn't know you it either. I didn't know until I did the research. I did not. Yeah. I, I, was, yeah. I was just throwing it. It just, that that I never would have known. I know exactly I, no, the thing you're talking about. I know that I've known every single time. It just I never, never would have entered no, my mind. It, never, it just it, never would have entered no, my mind. It's, it's quick. Because it's in a million years. The scene is quick from that standpoint. So wow. he, they, they, they go into the, they barge in, of course, not barge in, they knock on the door, they get, they come in, they arrest the madam, the muscle, and then we see McNulty already engaged with the two girls having sex, um, having sex, and then Daniels asks Kima, you know, how's he doing, and Kima jokingly says, you know, he'll be all right, um, so then, you know, we see, uh, they, you know, we see, we see that occurrence happens, um, I guess to the point, I mean, I think the, the season, the scene is pretty self-explanatory, but I guess um, they were making a point as well in regards to the approach that was necessary in, from a tactical standpoint. Like, Buck is like, yo, we don't have to barge down the door. Like, isn't this unnecessary? Why, why are you thinking about, why would you barge down the door? What are they going to, like, they're not going to flush, like, to his point, they're not going to flush down eight prostitutes down the toilet, the toilet. They're not going anywhere. It was an unnecessary tactic uh, to go about to. It, it, it would just be horrible policing for us to come, for us to break down the door. All we have to do is knock. So I guess they, the, the show was speaking on that terms of, of just quality policing versus, you know, out of control, unnecessary policing, which, you know, we, we've seen in art imitate like we've seen in real life in recent, uh, recent times. So I guess the show was speaking to that as uh, speaking to that as well. Um, so getting back to, to the box and what happened at the uh, warehouse, we have Rawls, Burrell, Valchek, Daniels, and Perlman in the office. They are watching as the drugs, as forty-five million dollars worth of drugs, were being seized from the ports. Valchek, of course, joking, not jokingly, says, "I want to see that type of bus against Frank Sabaka." Daniels and the rest of the detail basically tell tell them that the case has grown beyond Frank Sabaka and that we have uh, their allowable pieces. Everybody in this scene has their own agenda. Rawls wants his 14 murders. Valchek wants Sabaka. And the detail wants to completely flush out this case and just do great police work and detailed police work without rushing the judgment without arresting anybody. They just want to, they just want to make sure that all their hard work pays off. So they're not, so they are refusing to arrest Sabaka. Valchek is pissed off about this. We will see how that plays out in, in, in future episodes. And the key to this, to me, was the fact that the Greek set up the Colombians. So the Greek, we find out that the Greek through that, through that little television clip that the Greek absolutely got his revenge on the Colombians, set up the Colombians, and of course, just strengthened his, he does, it accomplishes many things. He accomplishes, sets up the Colombians, gets them, pays them back for them, you know, ripping them, you know, shortchanging the Greek with the, with the money and the, uh, with the money from previous scenes early in the episode, and 
he strengthens his 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 uh, relationship with the FBI by giving giving him a bone of forty for forty five million dollars worth of drugs uh, in that in, uh, in uh, with that setup. A lot going on in the scene. What were your thoughts? Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember where where I was when I was talking about the uh, the the setup. But yeah, but so I mean, like that that's essentially how you get the the biggest slice of the pie, right? Um, and so uh, and so little does the investigation know but they actually have the biggest uh, uh, wholesale um, of, uh, I guess, cocaine. I'm trying to remember what the, the time, whatever, whatever the drug is, um, in their sites. Yes. That they, I mean, that's legitimately what they have now. They have the biggest right there, but they don't know that. No. So no. it's just, it's just, it's just interesting. It's no. interesting because the comment, the comment that Valchek makes is so fascinating because if Valchek took his head up his ass, took his head out his ass for a second, if people took their head up, heads out their ass for a second, and this wasn't a personal thing on Frank Sabaka, maybe you'd be able to zoom out and go, hold up. We got a whole hell of a lot going on on here we could actually bring in a career case. But as we know, in this Baltimore, at this point in time, for this group, those are not things that people are thinking about. No. That's why I said that everybody in this room had their own agenda. Oh, yeah. No one – so, I, and I'll repeat who was in this room again for the audience. You had Ross, Burrell, Balchek, Daniels, Perlman. Now, the detail is just doing police work. They're doing, they're basically doing what they're told, but of course the case, we know the case has expanded way beyond Frank Sabaka and they're still trying to assemble and put all those pieces together, but they're just doing just police work. Ross wants his 14 murders, period. Burrell is, is just being a, he's just, he's, he's, Burrell is a politician playing commissioner. Right, no, I know. I, I like no. The Burrell character is. I love the Burrell character, but Burrell, no, Burrell is doing Burrell shit. Burrell's a politician. He's not Burrell. Burrell's a police commissioner. When you get to a certain level, you, that is your. your yeah, so job. No, no, he's doing. He, yeah, Burrell. I'm saying Burrell <laughs> has. You said he was. You said he was playing police commissioner. That's I mean, like. Burrell. Maybe I'm thinking about Burrell for future. <laughs> All right, so I'll disregard that comment to my audience. <laughs> you haven't seen episode I'm trying to defend Burrell up there. I just threw Burrell. You know, there's not going to be a whole lot of times where I can defend Burrell. So. Yeah, but that, yeah, no. So Burrell, no, Burrell, Burrell's trying to navigate through all of this that's going on as well. He's trying to keep everybody calm. So Burrell's trying to be like, stand, relax, stand, relax, stand. So, but everybody in this room, that's why I thought this was a brilliant scene. Everybody in this room, and their own agenda. It absolutely um, is a brilliant. That's why nothing, ultimately, nothing gets done because <laughs> no one's on the same page in regards to the, this particular institution. So I, I think they did a great job. The writers did a great job at, at, at depicting that because if everybody, if everybody actually, like you said, Valtech gets his head out of his ass um, 
and 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 it kind of works works with the detail instead of thinking that instead of instead of just looking at them looking at them as just workers under him, then he would have a absolute like career case. There's no question, I mean, no question about it, it. It's not none of this is simple, right? Like it's no, not so no, simple. No. Um, that's not where I want to go there. Um, yeah, it's it's not simple in terms of just like, oh, just do this, then that. But the very clear part, the very the, the part that is crystal clear to the audience that we get to enjoy that the characters can't ever enjoy because of the world that they're in is that we're like, oh. You got the big you got the biggest people in your sight right now. You actually are right around everybody. And they'll figure it out, but by the anyway. So um yeah, 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 yeah. So that's the part that we just get to enjoy. Like we know that y'all actually had a if you could stop infighting, which is impossible because this is the way everything has been set up for decades now. Um if you could stop, then you would realize you would actually had that career case. But of course, y'all can't be anything but who you are. Yeah. Um, yeah, and of course, the big winner of this scene was the Greek <laughs> by far. Um, Stringer and Brianna, part two. So Brianna's, Brianna has, of course, spoken to Avon. Avon has not only rebuffed the whole idea of working with Pop Joe, uh, of course, he doesn't know that the deal has already been made. He, for muscle, he says he went and found the best that he could find. And, and of course, that is one, Butter Muzon from New York, who's going to be working on Retainer. And Stringer, of course, says the brother. And has a look, you know, a, a very perplexing look on his face. Great, just great piece of acting by Ilgis, by El, El, Elba, Ilgis Elba, because he doesn't totally give away how this point he is, but you know that, you know, he just kind of like, you know, contemplates, um, but without giving all his emotions away, gives away a little bit, but not, not a lot to Brianna. Um, but he, again, just, you know, he gets his answer from Avon and gets more in return in, in regards to what he ever thought was going, in regards to thought, what he ever thought was going to happen in regards to the muscle. Um, what were your thoughts on this scene? Um, so, and by hold on, before you go in, the reason yeah. why Avon so Avon doesn't want doesn't want to deal with Prop Joe, and he 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 rebuffs Prop Joe's offer from that standpoint because he says the way Brianna explains it, he says that Prop Joe would have it over us, and he did not want to be under Prop Joe's thumb. So that's why Avon did not want that offer to go through. Even though it's already, even though it's already going through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, this is everything is set up for next season. So again, this makes it so so very very tricky to talk about. But um, this 
sets up another central conflict. Uh, Stringer and Avon are not on the same page. <laughs> Let's no. just put it like that. They're not on the same page. And so Stringer thought the I don't have the muscle would be like the clincher for the argument. And Avon's like, oh, I'll get you some muscle. Right. And we will come to find out what type of muscle that is. Yes. Yes, we will. Yep. Yep. So you don't think so Stringer did not want Stringer didn't go into that asking for muscle <laughs> expecting no. muscle. No, he did not. <laughs> no, he did not. Ooh. That was not the thing he wanted to come out of that conversation. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Boy, oh boy, did he get muscle. Yeah. Yeah, he's gonna get muscle. Yeah. Um so prop no, all right, slow down. McNulty and Bunk. Okay. So McNulty and Bunk are in office. Bunk is over looking over McNulty's shoulder. McNulty, of course, is typing up the report in regards to the prostitutes. Uh Bunk says you're gonna be you're gonna be a Baltimore legend for this. And you know, McNulty's saying, I know I can't lie, or I'll perjure myself. And then of course Perlman is looking sees the report. That McNulty is typing, and of course, he engaged in having sex with the prostitutes, and uh, she was not pleased to say the least. Uh, <laughs> any quick thoughts on that scene? Oh, no, uh uh-uh. uh. Um, Prop Joe and Stringer. So, Stringer goes back to Prop Joe with the news that Brother Muzon is coming. And Prop Joe is, is basically like, look, man, this is your problem. I'm not sending my people against the brother. He says, says that dude got more bodies on him than a Chinese cemetery. And Stringer says, true. I would take him out myself, but Avon can't know it came that it was coming from his own people. Nice try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice try. Yeah. <laughs> so this is where, of course, this is where Stringer misreads Avon because Stringer then goes into this little basically this speech to Prop Joe's like yeah you know he gotta make a deal he gotta he gotta meet up with they gotta connect for a week that might they gotta negotiate a price that might take another week he said it'll be it'll be like at least two weeks before you know before he's you know uh in Baltimore and and by the time that comes you know we already be our deal will already be entrenched in you know, there's, there's no no New York, you know, no no nigga from New York is gonna change the facts from the ground. Yeah, oh no 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 stranger. Now that's not how that thing ended up working out, uh, as we will see in the last scene of the episode. So he completely misreads um, how quick Brother Muzon will arrive uh, in New York, not in Baltimore, which we'll talk about later. But what what you what did you think about this exchange between uh, prop joint. Come on, real. You baiting me, man. Like this, this is. I mean, no, you're not baiting me. This episode is baiting me. Um, <laughs> I mean, there, I, there's, there's everything to talk about this, and nothing that I can say at the exact okay. same time, gotcha. right? Like, there's. I mean, I have everything to say about all these scenes, but um, in this context, it's, it's really challenging. So. Just in this 
it, it just in this specific scenario, what it appears is that you have two kingpin-esque type characters who are trading off, who are, who are at the beginning of filling each other out through, a rela- through the relationship, um, the beginning relationship. I, oh man, um, you have a sense because this is all, I mean, his name is Proposition Joe. This is all in his wheelhouse is that Stringer is more or less playing into Prop Joe's hands than not. But I do think there is a significant back and forth that's going on right now. I just think that this is more in what Prop Joe is comfortable with at this at this point in time. Yeah, Prop Joe so they, I mean again, uh, without giving anything away, Prop Joe basically says, This is your problem. Brother Muzone is your problem. I'm not uh, you deal with this shit and then you know we'll go from here, go from there. But you this is your problem. This is not I, I'm not having any part of Brother Muzone from that standpoint. So that I, that's as far as I will go. In regards to uh, my analogy of of it, because uh, like, like I said, it's too it's too much set up, too much it's too much future stuff that you know that will flush out eventually over the course of the next season uh, to get into any type of real detail about this uh, meeting. Uh, the detail, Herc and Carver, of course, are taking uh, Herc and Carver are taking pictures of the truck at the warehouse. Uh, Prez, Prez says that they are moving clean cans, and then Sergey, our man Sergey, who cannot stop talking, says over the phone, "There are always more children. Come, we are always more children, which we know children is code for girls." Uh, what were your thoughts? Wait a second. On the phone. Sergey said there are always more there are always more children. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, got it, got it, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. <laughs> got it. I don't know what, sure. I was, what I heard. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, 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 yep. And I, I mean like honestly, like the, the cops, they knew that as well. Or or So let me give let me get an audience some context. Let me, okay, hold on. Let me, let me get an audience some context on that conversation. So the police, we, a couple of scenes ago, we know that the police bust the brothel, bust the prostitutes, and the, the main madam. They're out now. The main madam is out. She's been bailed out. Supposed bail. She's out. And they, you know, they communicate that. Um, they communicate that to Sergey. And then Sergey says, again, Sergey says, there are always more children coming, meaning there will, more, there will be more prostitutes coming. So I just want to get audience a little context, context from that standpoint. Why you use the code word children, you know, ch- uh, children. So. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, oh yeah. So, so the, the police even know that like, like they only did the raid to tickle the wire, right? Like they say that. Um, and so they know how much value is put on um, running running girls, running prostitution ring, but they also know that won't be 
I mean, they know it's a part of it, but they know that's not the major part of it. They know they don't put that much value value on it. And so this is, this is a move to specifically get the other players in motion and get them talking about the raid on the numbers that they already have or be able to find new links to since they since the detail has an idea that they switched up and that they they blew their cover a little bit they want to get new leads and so this is specifically the way in which in which to do that so everybody involved here even from the very different ways in which they look at it recognize that this is not about prostitution per se right. and like this is the end all be all everybody in there recognizes that this this is um part of the organization a small part of the organization not the main cog of the organization right so we go to colvin and his second command uh, Lieutenant Mello, who, by the way, Lieutenant, the guy who plays Lieutenant Mello is the real-life Jay Landry, for the record. Um, they, um, they're looking at the corners in the Western District, which are, they have been, uh, who are, which are somewhat quiet because of the recent raids and because, you know, the fact that Stringer, you know, kind of, you know, Stringer already told Bodie that we would have to take a, a timeout based on, that, based on the, the kid getting shot and being killed. So, you know, Coleman says, yeah, they're quiet for now. But um, again, uh, this is foreshadowing a lot moving forward in the future of, co of you know, get, you know but this episode basically gave us, also gave us an introduction, uh, a small introduction of one Bunny, uh, of Bunny Coleman. And, um, you know, they're playing chess. The show is playing chess with this scene and with this character, uh, Bunny Coleman in particular. Uh, yep. that's, that's all I can give. That's all I can yep. say. Just a light intro. Light intro. Uh, and then we get to one final final scene. Brother Muzon comes in from New York. He greets an officer as he walks into the towers. And this, the episode ends on that note. And again, a move that was completely misplayed by Stringer from that standpoint of just he did not realize how quick Brother Muzon would arrive in Baltimore. He's thinking maybe one or two weeks. Brother Muzon was there within a day after meeting, after discussing business with uh, Avon. What does that tell you about like what when you when you saw that? Well, nothing. Dude, no, nothing. too much. Don't too do much. it. Don't do it. No, Don't I'm not gonna do it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So. Brother Muzon is in Baltimore a day after. Uh, Stringer didn't expect him to be there that quick, and we will see how we will certainly see how that plays out over the next three episodes, uh, 10, 11, 12, over the next three episodes. But uh, yeah, this, I, I cannot wait to flush this character out because this dude. Um, I'll begin the episode talking about themes. And to me, again, just I even discussing this episode, look how the Greek ran his organization and dealt with problems versus 
how Stringer dealt with issues and problems and his like night and day. The Greek, despite the prostitute, I mean, listen, the Greek has some problems to deal with during this during this episode. He has the, the prostitutes that get arrested. Uh, the cops were on to him in terms of the warehouse. And he basically, the Greek basically brushes all that shit off and says, we're going to do business as usual, sets up the, the Colombians, has the FBI guy, you know, FBI informant. So it, it's just a, like how the Greek versus Stringer, who doesn't get what he wants from, in regards to his meet, meeting, in regards to, uh, what he thought he was going to get from Avon uh, does make the deal with Prop Joe for with in terms of getting a new drug connect. So he, he does accomplish that, but we see how his organization is kind of bumbling with you know throwing the guns on the, on the bars, the whole shooting of a nine year old kid, which forces them to shut down. Um, you know, it's just you know it's kind of like watching a up in, you know a championship championship level type organization versus an organization that's kind of, I'm not going to say Stringer and the Barksters are the Knicks, but an organization that is kind of, you know, trying to find its way as they transition power from one kingpin to another. Um, yeah, and, that, and then my second theme, of course, is all the pieces matter. All, there were a lot of pieces and moving parts in this episode, and they all, I mean, they all made, they all matter in the world, yeah. in the world of the wire. There's not a piece that doesn't. Who was your uh, MVP? Because I actually have to change. I had to change. This is, this is a tough one. It was. This is another tough one. Um, wow. Who was my MVP of this episode? Um... You know what? I'm gonna I'm go a little bit uh, off the off the beaten path on this one. I'm gonna say the wire was my MVP because mm. I said over over again how much I enjoyed just watching everybody just kind of like be able to do their thing. Now they don't have to gather all X Y Z everything like this. It's just like all the pieces are in place for the wire to move as effectively as it possibly can and they can easily make their adjustments now. And so the reason why I'm shining out the wire is so heavy for, for right now is because of all the lead work that got them the 60 and the 59 ranking and all that stuff in the first couple of episodes, the first four episodes is now paying very, very, very big dividends because I can't say it enough at this point in time in television history there's nothing that even remotely attempts to talk about how complex a operation like uh like running a wire is and like that type of police there's nothing that was even remotely talking or thinking about this so this is very high-end concept high concept work for a show to put on to its viewers um, and to look at it just pay off in such fantastic ways is crazy. Yeah, I had the the Greek as the MVP. Um, just like I said, just his whole his navigating 
the leadership and his navigating this whole operation and as many parts of it. I mean, they're doing, you know, the prostitution, the drug dealers, the, the dealing with the, how he dealt with the Colombians, um, how he even dealt with the police, even forcing the police to, be, to dig deeper with their investigation and him making like he, when he makes a mistake or when they, something goes wrong for them, it's not, it doesn't have a major impact on what they do as an organization. They kind of, you know, deal with it and then move on. Yep. That to me is a, that is a function of leadership and what established leadership in terms of how long they've been in the game, the understanding of the game and the way they move. So I, I went with the Greek as an MVP. Who was yep. your I almost yeah. had Joe too. I almost had Joe. I almost had Prop Joe. Yeah. It, was a big, it definitely was a big up. Like, because, you know, Prop Joe is basically saying, you know, y'all, you, listen, my product, Prop Joe, Prop Joe gaining three towers in the West Side is a major, major deal. Uh, was a major win for him. Yeah. Uh, get that territory. Um, yeah. Yep. Overall, overall, I go with the Greek. Uh, who's your... Charting award for performance. Um, what's what's my man's name? Uh, in the FBI, Glicus. Fits fits you. You're talking about nah. the Kutras? What, you're talking about Kutras? Yeah, Kutras, Kutras. That's that's my. It, it he had to play a double agent, right? Like, and yes. in a lot of different ways in which a double agent is played, it's either like really sinister or really stupid. And he didn't do either. Um, so I really appreciated the choice that he made. And he won. I mean, he won big. He's, he's the one who came off with the, with the, with the career day haul off of that. But um, the way in which he played that entire, like, just from just the chill, like, like again, like, if, I mean, like, if there's a pattern of me, and the things that I like is I love the scenes with very little dialogue are happening. So I thoroughly, I didn't talk about it a lot because I wanted to get here. I thoroughly enjoyed the scene with him and the Greek just sitting chilling <laughs> out. There's nothing being said, but everything's being said in those, in those moments. Um, so I love that. And then I have a very vivid memory of like when he discovers the chips are the drugs by scratching over it, the look of just joy. He just unadulterated glee on his face. And that's very hard to pull off just in terms of just a grown, 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 grown ass man in a very uh, buttoned up and significant role in front of a lot of other grown men, grown, grown men. That's not usually a spot where you're like, ooh, let me show unadulterated joy right now. Um, I love that choice. I love that choice. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a real. So anyways, for for those reasons, that's that's, he gets my Chardine this week. I got Stringer. I thought Stringer had to navigate a lot of choppy waters, like to to your point. So... uh, 
he has he manipulates you know manipulates uh Bodhi, you know with that this whole mentor slash folly figure type ordeal yeah, that, that yeah, he, got, he got Bodhi completely yeah got, yeah, yeah he has Bodhi around his finger we we know yeah yeah but then he has to navigate two characters differently in regards to Brianna and Prop Joe. Um, both who are seasoned as far as, you know, knowing the drug game. And he, like, he can't give them, he has to give them bits and pieces uh, from an emotional standpoint. I thought, you know, I thought Elgis Elba was tremendous at that um, with, to your point, not saying anything. Some of, his, you know, some of his best acting also is when he doesn't talk. Through, it, through the eyes, through his facial expressions, body language. So in those two scenes, in those three scenes, he had three, well, I want to say he had four. I think it was two. I think he two with Brianna and two with Prop Joe. I think he had four total scenes with that. Through those four scenes, I thought he was tremendous in those scenes in regards to, like, he can't give away, he can't show his true emotion, what he's really thinking or feeling. And to me, that that is... You know that is brilliant acting. Not to, not not to even subtly give away what you you know he got kind of like has to be like he, he, I mean I'm sure he could be I don't know Ilja's Elba's poker game, but I'm sure Stringer Bell would be a great poker player because he does not give away a lot uh, with in terms of what with the emotion that's on his face and, and with his body language. Now there will there will come a time where he does, and we'll we'll see that moving forward but as of right now in particular this episode he does not he's not giving away a lot and uh does not give away a lot with those two characters which are very savvy you know you're talking about the sister of uh kingpin you know brianna's no fool and we're talking about a kingpin in in prop joe so he has to be he had to be on his game in those scenes in order for, to not give away anything uh to those two characters so i had um as my uh the Chardin uh award. But yeah, you're I like your one about Kutris because he had like that and even in that scene which you mentioned at the end where he goes, you know, gets excited and happy, I didn't see that coming from his character. Based on what we had saw previously in this episode, he was it seemed like he was kind of like a deadpan, serious. So that's great acting to me to see that type of verse that that type of range. And when he gets all again, gets all happy and, and excited, I didn't, I didn't, I did not see that coming. Uh, in terms of that, that, that type of emotion, showing that type of emotion from that particular character, so that that was a great piece of acting from this thing. Fascinating episode, fascinating, very, there a lot of minutia in this episode, a lot, a lot of like I said, a lot of moving pieces in this episode. Uh, again, I completely rebuffed Vulture's forty-seven rank, forty-seven in terms of. 47 ranking on this episode. Um, I, I like this is a top 30 episode easily, in my opinion. Um, and I, I I told you before the broadcast, before you even came on the air, that I, lo I love this episode. But there's, there's certainly more to come, and that these next three episodes are going to be explosive, to say the least, especially this next episode, in terms of what's going to happen. Uh, um, so, it's all downhill from here in regards to uh, season two as we head towards 
a uh, head towards um, a a up and coming, not up and coming, but as we head towards an anticipated season three uh, of this show. Any closing thoughts? <laughs> this show's brilliant. That's all I can say. This show's brilliant. This show's brilliant. I wish we could parallel the rest of the season and season three immediately, like right now. Like, yeah, that's that's the game that they're playing right now, or 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 that's the, you know, like that's the fun that we can have with it now that we couldn't have with it then because we didn't know the 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 depth of what they were doing. So it's just like um, I love season two. I do. Yeah. No. But this the what, what yeah, just how they're putting things in place. I'm just like, oh this would be a really good time to start season three simultaneously as well. Cause that, that this episode definitely made me want to watch season three immediately. Like immediately. Um so uh yeah 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 why is good the why is good that yeah yep nothing to add to that uh that is going to wrap it up in this latest edition of the real deal podcast the wire remix as always thanks to one robert Seth for joining us we will see you have a good next one. time everybody be healthy be safe out there no question about it later later that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the real deal podcast I will be with you tomorrow with uh, uh, with the podcast, not on the wire, but on a uh, but on the world of sports and pop culture. Busy weekends, but particularly the NBA and pop culture as well. I'm out. <laughs>